It's finally spring, and I'm saying goodbye snow, hello adventure. And during the Honda Dream Garage Spring Event, you can get epic deals on your favorite Honda model. Ready to get rugged? Then take the off-road in an all-wheel drive Honda SUV, like the CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, or redesigned Ridgeline. Want to take a spring road trip? Then check out a fuel-efficient turbocharged Civic or Accord. Say goodbye to winter and hello to a new Honda. Don't miss huge savings during the Honda Dream Garage Spring Event. Now at your local Honda dealer. All right, guys, welcome back to the Believe in XE podcast. This microphone is hot for the second time today, and we got a special episode for you today. I, Cedric Wilson, one half of your podcast tag team champions, is here with two of my dear friends from my past. That's right. We're taking a blast from the past and going back to the turnbuckle from Arizona State University. And this is courtesy of your Believe Podcast Networks, the podcast network site that has everything that you want to listen to. We have currently 352 shows, everything from sports, talk radio. If you're a fan of the 90s and love nostalgia, we have a podcast for that, too. Tap in with us at Believe Podcast Networks. But without further ado, these two men that I used to host wrestling radio with at the Blaze FN are two of my very best friends, as well, two of my close friends in the wrestling industry. And dare I say... They are responsible for my adoration of NXT. First, I have Benjamin Benya, who is what I like to call a wrestling almanac. He can pull anything out of his ass and knows anything in the history of wrestling, as well as I have Ross Williamson, who is our, I would say, our indie darling. Anything that we, he knows about wrestling, he knows and is also a host of the Double Turn podcast. Welcome, gentlemen. And like I said, this podcast will serve as a blast from the past. The turnbuckle is reunited again. How's everybody feeling? Who did you beat to become the wrestling podcast tag team champions? Who did you beat? Who, what match took place? Was it a tournament? Rio de Janeiro? I just have to accept the results. Is that, I want to know that how we're who starting? you defeated. That's, how we're That's my question. That's my, it's just a question. It was a Saudi Arabia match. Oh, okay. You cashing in that Saudi blood money. <laughs> That's always good. It's That's a how I'm yes. Guns a blazing, Saudi blood money. We're not even planning on talking about it. Unopposed tag, podcast uh, tag team champions. Hopefully, hopefully he didn't fall under the ring at any point. So, I I believe he actually won the tag titles uh, for radio, and then he came in contact with the podcast champions a week later, and they were going into radio, and he was going into podcasting, and the most logical solution was for them to just switch title belts like they did with the Street Profits and the New Day, right? Like, that's what it was. Makes sense. So so um, to all of our normal listeners, expect this podcast to go off the rails a little bit because these are two gentlemen that I watched wrestling with throughout college, and they know a lot of my more embarrassing moments. So even in Jacob's absence, who he big-leagued us. No, nah, he didn't big-league us. He has other things going on in life uh, and work, so he'll be back with us next week. But these guys will be sure to share some embarrassing stories throughout. But, gentlemen. Cedric, you're telling me that he's the Shawn Michaels of this tag team? I mean, I know that it's always been a goal for you to be Marty, Marty Jannetty, Jannetty at some point. <laughs> Not the whole, I murdered some guy when I was 14 in self-defense, Marty Jannetty. Like the barbershop window, Marty Jannetty. Um, not not there, current events, MJ. Yeah, like, no, we... We're on the record on this podcast that you can't be the 2020 Marty Jannetty of anything after after everything that's happened. Um, but no, I will not succumb to being the Marty Jannetty of this podcast. I'd rather say that we are both the Hardys or Dudley Boys, whatever you want to say. 
Good tag teams. I would would say the Hardys is probably a good comparison. I mean, does anyone really want to be the Devon? I think Devon is very successful at this point in his career. Yeah, that TNA Legends Championship really springboarded him to the top of the industry. By the way, did you guys uh, happen? This is not an AEW podcast, but again, the Believe in XT podcast is here. We have the sidebars. Stay for everything else. Um, His sons were in action on Dark last week. Did you guys catch that? Yes, and their name is TNT, which was the same name for Tara and Tessmacher from Impact Wrestling. It's bad. In in all fairness, there is an expectation that anyone watching Dark, except for maybe Ross, probably does not remember that, and that's okay. It's okay, because the Street Profits and Team Bad have the theme song, too, and nobody remembers that either. That's true. Um. Also, Team USA at the 1997 Survivor Series came out to Kurt Angle's theme music before Kurt Angle had it. And let's not even get started with Funk is on a roll being, uh, or somebody call my mama, being God's theme music. No, I was going with God, actually. Oh, fair enough. That time when God was Shawn Michaels' tag team partner. Anyway, that was was post-Genetti. the AEW wow, question we brought that was full circle. There. We're still yeah, talking like, about the Marginetti thing. <laughs> that, we brought that full circle. I thought we had moved on to a whole other I thing. I just want to hear the conversation where Sean's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. I got a new partner. It's God. And Genetti's like, uh, uh, what? Because, you know, he was probably coked out of his mind. Um, uh, but yeah. Probably. Just assuming. They, so, uh, I guess Devon's sons did pretty well on Dark as well. I mean, it's Dark. Dark only, you know, consists of five, six minutes at a time on its matches for the most part. But hopefully we'll get to see more of them as we go along because um, they were trained here in Florida, where I currently reside. And um, sorry, kind of kind of very popular, actually, uh, locally. So um, I think they went to the uh, for a while. They were at the I Believe in Wrestling School in Orlando. So it has to be a better angle than making uh, the Pope D'Angelo De Niro their surrogate father. That actually happened as a storyline. Wow. <laughs> is this another impact wrestling nugget of joy? It is. You know what? We called him so, the indie darling. A, l- a little a little back a little backstory here. Um when we used to do the turnbuckle at ASU, Ross was always our TNA impact correspondent. Even after um way past the days of Ben being the host of the show when we had Britt Ruhr as a host. Ross would always call in with any TNA information because none of us would, would want to watch it. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> because so Ross, none of us would watch it. <laughs> so, so Ross knows everything TNA, but I will give, I'll give Ross credit. I, we're in quarantine. Uh, if you forgot, this is a COVID-19 2020. I did watch TNA Slammiversary and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It wasn't a bad show. It was a good Impact. show. Impact Wrestling's a solid, solid product the last couple of years. They're trying to do something different. Uh, Don Callis still in charge over there? Uh, he and Scott Demore, and uh, there's there's one other principal person. It's mainly Callis and Demore, though. So I am. Oh, I mean, I'm all in on a number of the uh, feuds they presented to me, like the Good Brothers in the North. Um, you know, making tag team wrestling count in other places besides AEW. So that's nice. Tremendous. Mm-hmm. Uh, guys, before we get into the, the topics of the evening, I want you guys to tell our audience a little bit about you guys is what, what made you guys like wrestling? Ross, I know you still cover wrestling. Ben, I know you do a lot of stuff completely out of labor of love, whether it be writing projects, different 
uh, group chats, et cetera. Talk about how wrestling became something that you guys love to watch and do. So, I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, I much like a lot of other people, cause I mean, I'm in my mid thirties. So like when the attitude era was here in you know the mid nineties, I was, you know, becoming like a teenager. And so you, know, you got a lot of things going on in your life and you see something, you know, wild and crazy on television. Like you really get into it. And I mean, not that I don't like the stuff from the earlier part of the 1990s and the eighties. And of course the history of wrestling, of course I love it. Cause I love, um, I love professional wrestling, but that's probably what really got me into it. And, uh, and then of course I was, I was a fan for a long time and then hooked up with, uh, with you guys at ASU and did the wrestling show and, reignited my fandom so to speak and uh just just analyzing it from a lot of different perspectives uh and and translating what's happening today up against even the different eras and just the different types of how wrestling and popular culture and real life kind of all intertwine with each other as we kind of grow with it as a society because even though there are old antiquated ideas that still happen in wrestling to this day it still kind of, or at least tries to adapt with what's going on and what we're all um, dealing with in our real lives, even though it is a scripted world. So that's what fascinates me uh, to the world of pro wrestling. And yes, I still do cover it uh, to this day on my own podcast. Should I get my cheap plugs in now? Okay, I'll do that right now. Uh, so uh, I have a buddy of mine. He and I have now done a podcast for two years, a little over two years. It's called the Double Turn Podcast. Uh, since since uh, COVID happened, we've been doing a lot of uh, different things, including watching old stuff on the networks, uh, covering classic matches, classic feuds. Uh, but back, or I should say, when we get normal, I know that's not really a uh, popular term, but once we get fans back to wrestling and weekly television doesn't look weird with Thunderdome again, we'll probably cover that again. But you can find the Double Turn Podcast on one of our many platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, CastBox, and the Anchor app. Go check any of those out. Now, Ben, I put you over, yes. and I said you were a wrestling almanac, and I mean that in the sincerest form of flattery. Tell people about your password wrestling, because... You honestly have the title of one of the most knowledgeable people about this genre that I know. You have collections. You know everything just literally on the back of your hand. Tell people about why you love pro wrestling. Well, I mean, pro wrestling's it's in my DNA to watch professional wrestling and sports entertainment and enjoy it for what it is. I came out of the womb. Uh, liking pro wrestling. My mother was pregnant, several months pregnant, when she would go see shows uh, with my father at the Louisiana Superdome. And, you know, they talk classic matches in the in the mid and early 80s, uh, going to see stuff like Ted DiBiase versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan in a best-dressed man match before either one of them had really been picked up uh, by the World Wrestling Federation. So for me, you know, I came out guns ablaze, and and probably by the time I was really cognizant of what made pro wrestling um, enjoyable for me. I was three years old when I saw Hulk Hogan versus the ultimate warrior at WrestleMania six, which to this day is a masterpiece. I mean, it's a masterclass of what wrestling can be, especially in the United States of storytelling, 
And um, I know I'm, I'm going to get flamed by someone for saying that there's athleticism in that match because it's Warrior and Hogan. But, you know, there is an element to uh, when wrestling is great, it is, I mean, it's really great. And there's no defense needed. You're watching a weekly episodic television show. You're watching storylines and characters build from the perspective of a company teaching you everything that you will ever learn about professional wrestling. So it's funny that you bring that up because one of the things I invest myself in as, as that walking historian and that almanac is the statistics of wrestling, you know, the math of wrestling. Um, Vince McMahon will tell you that the math of wrestling doesn't matter at all. And I'll tell you that it does because there's so many amazing moments and, and things and uh, memories and little trinkets in time that you get from watching professional wrestling that you don't quite hold on to the same way. You know, a lot of people, when they're talking about their favorite sports team, can give you a list of the accomplishments year to year, can run down how that team did that season, can run down individual trades, individual uh, items that took place. But with pro wrestling, there's so many more intricacies that you're following and so many more storylines where you say, remember when that was the thing? And you have to defend something that's either truly awesome and you have other people enjoy that entertainment with you, or you're defending something that is sadly more often than not pretty weird and terrible. And you watch that content back and you say, man, I remember when I thought this was the greatest thing I had ever seen. I remember when I thought the British bulldog won the 1995 Royal rumble. And I watch it today as a full grown man and say, you're an idiot. Like it's very obvious. He didn't win that match or was ever even close to winning that match, but it's a different memory. And then you go and you read uh, the stories, you read these biographies, you have access of information that professional wrestling has, and you can argue it has and has not benefited from over the past two and a half decades. But just the advent of how we get our information, the internet, uh, the media streams that we get all of our content from, it is such an amazing world that we live in for sports entertainment, for professional wrestling, not just stateside, but it's global as a product, everything that you watch is different. Everyone tries to feel different in one way or another. You have to invest yourself in a whole different exclusive list of characters every time you watch something. And um, that's really cool. It's, it's a very cool society when it's working that way and when it's at its best. There are still many dark corners of that society that need to be exposed to the light. But, um, you know, we're not there yet, unfortunately, because it's still also viewed in a lot of circles as archaic and stupid and juvenile. And I would contest that any show on television, any show on television can be just like wrestling on a good or a bad day, depending on what product we're getting on screen. And that's what I like about it is I can complain about it. I can run numbers. I can do stats. Um, but at the end of the day, like I accept whatever results are given to me and tune into the next show to speculate and to watch and to enjoy and to hate and to love everything that I'm getting. That's the investment of over 30 years of my life is from a little kid sitting on the floor playing with his action figures and pulling random guys out of a paper bag to put into a battle royal as his means of doing a Royal Rumble match to being an armchair booker where we draft our own rosters and pretend we're booking our own matches. Like that's an evolution over time of watching this product from straightaway 
eyes gleaming as a child to something much more now where I can enjoy it. I can have conversations with you guys about it. We can be a community that has common interests and enjoy things and hate things, but at the end of the day, enjoy each other while watching that product. That's entertainment. That's the point of what we're doing. That's the point of what we're doing tonight. You could have asked a lot of people to, to come and do this, but I don't think Ross and I batted an eye at the opportunity to, you know, one more time, let's do the show again, one more time. So, Absolutely. And, I, and you know what? We're almost 100 episodes in, but we are, I, it was actually very important for me to have both of you guys in here because you mentioned just the genesis and Ross missing the genesis of uh, getting back into his fandom. And largely, I never thought about radio as a, as a medium until I met you guys. And dare I say, you guys taught me the business side of wrestling, uh, booking, things of that nature, and speculation predictions. Because back then in college, I just watched it as a fan. Dare I say, I even still thought it was real in some aspects until I met you guys and you guys taught me uh, the backstage politics of wrestling. Hell, we, we often, a uh, little backstory about the three of us, we often try to go to WrestleMania every single year as a tandem, as a group of us or we try to attend one live show. And it wasn't until we started doing the turnbuckle and doing that radio syndicate for the blaze every single week that I even started looking at wrestling, like something to speculate or uh, converse with other fans about. I would just look at it solely as a fan, just watch it for entertainment. And hell, um, Ross can attest to this. He saw me at WrestleMania in Arizona and I almost cried because I was like, wait, Shawn Michaels is retiring. I didn't understand the politics of wrestling back then. I didn't understand that, oh, he's old and he has to go take care of his family is done. I looked at it solely as entertainment and that, hey, this guy, um, it's time for him to hang him up. I didn't look at it like then. And here we are a decade later, um, and it's still something we all enjoy. And like Benya said, we're here to speculate. And what we're going to speculate on is Survivor Series, an old favorite, old favorite for many, but this year, the build of Survivor Series is a little bit different than what we're used to, especially last year when you had the NXT build. Of course, COVID-19 has kind of changed everything, and we know they're keeping superstars separate. NXT has kind of been a hotbed for COVID this year. They've had a couple of different outbreaks. What do you got before we actually dive into the card? Because there's a f- couple of things I want to dive into. What do you guys... How do, how do you guys feel about Survivor Series this year? Are you guys excited? Because pay-per-views are a little bit different. Obviously, no fans, Thunderdome and whatnot. Are you, I mean, as fans, we're going to watch regardless. But are you going to watch it for enjoyment or just because it's something to do? Um, the truth of the matter is, so like, let's, let's go on a journey down history lane about the Survivor Series, if we can, for just a minute. It's such a weird thing that the WWE will tout this as one of the big four of their own. You know, the, the wrestling community respects Survivor Series and says, well, it's a big four pay-per-view. You know, SummerSlam, Survivor Series, Royal Rumble, WrestleMania. Those are the four. Um, but Survivor Series has been fourth of four since probably around 1991, 1992, and has been fourth of four not only every year since then, there's been plenty of times where they've messed with the format of the show, which they don't do with a lot of the other shows, um, especially not in the big four. They don't mess with the format. There have been plenty of times where they've tried new things at Survivor Series. I actually got around to you know talking to Ross about this. This pay-per-view was created in 1987 
as a means for taking money away from WCW slash NWA and Jim Crockett promotions. It is the sole reason that Starcade eventually got moved to December because McMahon, in his infinite brilliance, Vincent Mann, when he created this pay-per-view, he said, you're going to carry my show or you're going to carry theirs. You're not going to carry both. And he won that battle because he was the guy who had just produced WrestleMania three, And he was giving you the first in-ring rematch, sort of, between Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. Like, he knew what he was doing. But those first several years of Survivor Series booked interesting matches. Tag team elimination was always the focus. Uh, it wouldn't be until 1991 that you'd even have a non-Survivor Series match at the Survivor Series. Um, that being... Uh, Undertaker versus Hulk Hogan, the greatest challenge. It was the first time that they had ever had any match that was not a Survivor Series elimination match take place at that pay-per-view. By 1992, they only had one Survivor Series elimination match on the card, and it wasn't even, by tradition, uh, a Survivor Series elimination match. There were three eliminations in the whole match, and then it was over. They've messed with the format since around 1998. They did the Deadly Games Tournament where there were no Survivor Series matches. There were none in 2002, which was the debut of the Elimination Chamber. So there's an argument to be made that at least... The, and there was also a six-man uh, Elimination Tables match on that card. So it at least had kind of the spirit of the show. There's been at least one in every Survivor Series other than 98 and 2002. Most of the time, there's only one or two Elimination matches in the last four years. Obviously, the format has been very, very focused on brand versus brand. And so asking about this specific year, you're really funny. I was watching Survivor Series 99 earlier today, which is the debut of Kurt Angle. It's the huge, huge bait and switch angle where an hour and a half into a three-hour pay-per-view, they run over Stone Cold Steve Austin with that car. Um, he's still booked in the main event. And if you recall at that time, again, access of information being what it was, fans who had access to the internet knew Austin wasn't going to compete in the main event before the show. But at the beginning of that show, uh, and this is getting a little off topic, and I, I apologize, like you said, that's going to happen. Um, at the beginning of that show, the promo package for that show, which, again, I remember this was the Austin Carr thing. This is the really weird big show wins the title. Uh, night where he wasn't even anywhere close to factored into the feud and just thrown in at the last minute. And it's the debut of Angle. Those are the biggest things to take away from that pay-per-view event. Um, the promo package, though, at the beginning of the show is amazing because it highlights how controversial Survivor Series had been in the several years prior. Talking about, obviously, the Montreal Screwjob being the biggest moment in Survivor Series history. One of the five biggest moments in wrestling history. Uh, talking about Psycho Sid doing the dastardly things he did in 96 to get the title from Shawn Michaels, talking about the amazing match that Brett and Diesel had in 95, uh, talking about the rematch between Yoko and Undertaker. There's a lot of huge moments that took place at these events, but then somewhere in the mid-2000s, things got way off the rails. They stopped really caring about the team format. Um, they've stopped understanding why people want to watch it. I will watch the show on Sunday because it's Survivor Series, because I'm still getting two tag team elimination matches, which like last year was a godsend. It was more elimination than ever, you know, five on five on five. It was done in a triple threat style and there was more stakes to it. And that's really my problem is that 
last year felt like there were stakes, but within a few days of NXT decisively winning the brand fight on that show, it didn't matter. And none of the years that a brand has beaten the other brand on the show has it mattered. The last time the Survivor Series matches at the Survivor Series meant anything was either uh, Goldberg flattening Lesnar, which had nothing to do with brand versus brand, or the Team Cena uh, Team Authority match where Sting made his debut. But even that match within a month of its conclusion did not matter. It mattered in the build. And since what you're asking about is, am I excited to watch this pay-per-view? The answer is uh, yes, because it's Survivor Series. No, because I don't buy any of this build at all. That's my answer. So I will piggyback off of uh, off of Ben's analysis here and basically say Survivor Series has essentially become bragging rights. I mean, hell, WWE used to have a pay-per-view called bragging rights that they did for, what, two years. It didn't do what they wanted it to do. They canceled it. They stopped doing it. And now it just feels like Survivor Series is simply just, well, the next night on that television, whichever team, quote-unquote, one can cut promos about it. And the other brand can just not mention it and move on with the rest of their programming. You mentioned the team Cena versus team authority. I'll go even one further when it comes to stakes. I believe it was 2004 team Orton versus team triple H the winning team got to book Monday night raw for a month. So you had Orton's team of Orton, Benoit, Jericho, and Maven Versus Triple H's team, which I believe had Triple H, Batista, Edge, and yes, Gene Snitsky. And the winner of that team would be able to book Raw. Now, I realize that's Raw, and it's not Raw versus SmackDown, or throw in NXT, or whatever you want to have in this match. Which, by the way, there are several possibilities. But at least there were stakes of, hey, the baby faces get to run Raw for a month. Or, I don't know, how about a Survivor Series team winning if there's a champion in it? They get, I don't know, maybe they get immunity from being cashed in on on Money in the Bank if they survive. I'm, I'm just using that as an example. But there are so many ideas that either are never thought of or there. And by the way, that's another reason why wrestling is so great, because there are so many ideas. Everybody says everything's been done. And to a certain extent, everything has been done. But there are ideas and opportunities in different eras with different superstars and different people. In, in, in these different situations that you can try things with. I mean, hell, they've even tried to do all these cinematic matches because they've had to because of all of COVID-19. So Survivor Series is, is still a big four pay-per-view. I'd say it's probably a big five pay-per-view if you want to throw money in the bank in there. Um, but that's one of those pay-per-views where I'm like, okay, it's a themed pay-per-view with matches that as a wrestling fan, I'm watching that pay-per-view to watch Survivor Series elimination matches, and I either don't get them, there's nothing on the line, or they're easily forgotten about right afterwards. So, although I understand why they're doing, you know, champion versus champion booking, and they don't really make anything worth anything because, well, can't make the stars bigger than anything else. Plus, it gets them really out of booking their champions for a month, let's be honest. Hey, let's just book champion versus champion. Who cares? Wins and losses don't matter. If one champion loses, it is made to look quote unquote weak. Nobody will care in a week because the pay-per-view will be over and we'll move on to T 
TLC, which nobody cares about. And then we'll just go to the Royal Rumble, which infinitely more people care about. So do I care about Survivor Series? Do I think Survivor Series can still be a seminal event of this company and should still be something to aspire to because it's been done very well in the past? Yes. So this year, it's kind of just like the last couple of years, except like, and I can't believe I'm saying this because I'm really not a huge fan of his work. Like Brock Lesnar not being on this show doesn't make me as interested. And that's so weird of me to say, even though there are things about Brock Lesnar in the Royal Rumble, like Brock Lesnar's Royal Rumble, where he was throwing everybody out, was easily one of the most entertaining things I'd seen in a long time. It was awesome. And I'm not a Brock Lesnar fan. But Brock Lesnar not being a champion and not wrestling somebody on this show is lacking. I can't believe I'm admitting that. That was this year, by the way. For you to say that, because 2020 has been 10 years already. Let's just call it what it is. That was this year's Royal Rumble (laughs) that he did that. And you're having... Brock Lesnar withdrawals. <laughs> I <laughs> like, know. What? <laughs> oh my god, that's crazy, isn't it? That is crazy. Um, wow. Okay, so Survivor Series is one of the true big fours, and I actually like what Ross said about Money in the Bank being another one because we've come to love these these themed, gimmicked pay per views. And you know what? If you want to compare apples and oranges, maybe. The AEW model is bigger. Maybe we don't need a pay-per-view every single month and it gets drawn out, especially in COVID-19 with no fans. Things don't get a chance to breathe. And here we are with another show. So maybe this is just like a little, hey, we're going to throw this at you because it's it's been here forever. And here we are with the Royal Rumble. And we actually have a running clock here for how many times Ben is going to change his name on the recording, and right now it is Damian Priest is a dumb name. Before that, we've seen Val Venus as well as others. Just to let you know, I'm going to chime in time after time when that name changes. But before we actually come in, because we're going to break down Survivor Series, we're going to predict, we're going to talk about every championship versus championship match. We have some members that have not been disclosed of Team Raw and SmackDown in both the women and men's matches. And since Ross... Uh, brought up money in the bank. I actually have some theories about survivor series where we could have some cash in scenarios, but one of the big things happening survivors series this year is the final farewell. And if you could see me physically, I put that in air quotes because it seemed like we've done final farewells plenty of times in the past. But after speaking with Jacob earlier today, you'll hear that episode soon. We talked a lot about the undertaker just this week, Mark Calloway, having more press runs this week than you've seen in 30 years of the undertaker. He's been on the Hawani show, which is a UFC podcast. He was on, he's going to be on hot ones tomorrow. And I don't know what intrigues me about Mark Calloway eating hot wings and spicy foods, but I'm probably going to watch. Do we believe that this is the final farewell of the undertaker? Will it be a big nostalgia fest for three hours of survivor series? Or is this a setup for the undertaker to set up the final feud for WrestleMania? because it's very for traditional for a legend to go out on his back. And of course, Mystic Man's money means a lot. We, we know that. So he's going to want one of his prime characters over the past three, four decades to actually go out with fans in the arena. Let's be honest. You know, Michelle McCool 
might have been the most endearing person to watch during the uh, Last Ride documentary in that she seems to really get it where she doesn't want him doing this anymore. She doesn't want him being in the ring anymore, but she knows full well if the paycheck's there and he feels even 50%, he'll do a match. And I would like to believe that the final farewell is upon us, but uh, that almighty dollar, I mean, it's just such a driving force. I hadn't really given thought to the idea that this was a setup for his final feud until you did what is another wonderful thing that we as wrestling fans do. And you put that theory out in the universe. You advanced that concept. And now I will have until the close of that show, just lingering doubt the entire time. Um, Taker's last real mania match. So he had the boneyard match this year, correct? And um, he didn't compete at all last year. And if I'm correct in saying this, then the year before that was the two-and-a-half-minute squash against Cena in New Orleans. So his last real Mania match would have been the uh, the abject stinker that he put up against Roman Reigns in we were Orlando. there for that. That was um, the last WrestleMania which was, that we went to. Which was also the last time that it felt like it was a retirement match because they gave him all the time in the world to retire. Um, but obviously since then he's done Saudi Arabia matches. He's returned for matches at extreme rules um, that were, there's nothing wrong necessarily with any of these matches, except for that time when Goldberg almost dropped him on his head uh, repeatedly. But um, I guess I, now that you've put that out in the universe, I could see them, you know, there is the one logical feud the one more match thing for me, for him to lose, it, the natural seems to be The Fiend. Um, even though that could be a colossal cinematic affair and not something that necessarily takes place in front of a live audience, you could at least book a finish in front of a live audience, maybe. Um, by the time WrestleMania comes around, the rumor mill is very, very heavy that we're going right back to Tampa like we were supposed to this past year. There will be fans allowed in the stadium at that point. Um, I, I think you put that thought out there and just by doing that, you made me more interested in it than they had with their marketing. And that's another benefit of pro wrestling. Uh, so I know that a lot of people have said that the most appropriate time for the undertaker to retire would either be at survivor series or at WrestleMania. Um, obviously he is no longer undefeated at WrestleMania. So there, there's really not that ticket, uh, to go on. But even though that's happened, um, I still think the last thing we're going to see with the undertaker going to happen at a WrestleMania. Um, uh, and you're absolutely right. If they're going to have Mark Calloway retire on a big pay-per-view, um, I don't think they're going to do it in front of no fans. Um, so that being said, um, if we did not have this issue of, you know, everybody getting sick all across the globe, um, then, then yes, they could set something up for this year's WrestleMania and it would probably work. It's 30 years. It's WrestleMania goes out, 
and you do all the pomp and circumstance and you you do everything that's necessary for it um that being said you're right the undertaker has really not had to have an actual match for quite some time i mean ben just listed all the instances where you know he wrestled um it's not much and so and with the cinematic universe as i will call it of the wwe um, they can do a lot of things with him via that where he doesn't even have to take any bumps. Um, so, no, unfortunately, I don't think this is the end. It would be absolute perfect timing for it to be the end. Um, so, yes, this could easily set something up for WrestleMania um, because they can't really do long-term booking. They have to do short-term booking because of everything that's happened. It's kind of a unique problem they have. Um, so. In that case, they can just kind of peg the Undertaker to do something and show up, you know, randomly at either Royal Rumble or right before WrestleMania, and they can do that. But, you know, I'm sure they'll do something memorable at Survivor Series, or they'll just do nothing, and it's just been, you know, pre-planning and all this other stuff. But I don't believe that, because you wouldn't have all these WWE superstars doing all the different things they're doing, and you mentioned it, all the different appearances he's making, if they weren't planning something. So that's my thoughts. Okay. So, and yes, just piggybacking off of that. They have to do something bigger here because Undertaker and Ed to Ross's credit, 30 years, 30 years in the business. I don't think this is one of those counter booking things because we just got Chris Jericho for 30 years on AEW dynamite a few weeks ago. This is legit. One of the pillars of the WWE. Now it's, it's just, it's just common practice for him to go out on his back. It's just going to make more sense for him to go out in front of an audience. And the last time we saw him take her go out on his back in front of an audience, it was in WrestleMania in Orlando, the last WrestleMania I actually attended. And I was there with Ben and he can attest that fans waited there for literally maybe an hour after he left his boots and gloves in the ring, wondering if that was the last time that you would see him wrestle. Now, we, of course, they, we know that there is a never-say-never never moment. So here's my prediction. And you can see uh, my article on DailyDDT.com where I say they, these are the five things in Survivor Series that must happen. And this is where it ties in because we've always wanted this nostalgic sting match that we feel like we've been robbed of time and time again. Of course, Triple H took that win, win from Sting. We can argue about that till the sun comes up. And, of course, Sting got hurt. But we now know with the cinematic universe, we can make things happen. We also know that Sting is not in contract right now and that he had the rumors of being or appearing at full gear, which did not happen. Stranger things have happened in the wrestling world where maybe there's a deal set up. Do I think that Sting is going to show up at Survivor Series? No, I don't. Who I do think will show up is Bray Wyatt. And I think that makes the most sense of anybody in the world. Because if you remember when The Undertaker actually lost his WrestleMania streak to Brock Lesnar, everybody was shocked. I will argue all day that it was the wrong move because they had him lose to Roman too. So now he's, what, 22-2 and two or something of that nature. The first win he got back after losing to Brock Lesnar, Bray Wyatt, WrestleMania 31. We all know that The Fiend plays this gimmick where they like to give him the title um, somehow probably inaccurately because he doesn't need it for booking, but we know he does this thing where he never forgets. If you want to play that gimmick up well, 
because he'll have Randy to deal with through rest, uh, through Royal Rumble season. You can have this just set the set the tone. You do the same thing with John Cena for the Firefly Funhouse match. Set the tone when everybody's sitting there clapping it up for Undertaker at the top of the entry ramp. We know Savio Vega, other legends are going to be there. Have the music hit. Have <laughs> Ben's laughing at the Savio Vega reference. Savio <laughs> Vega, other <laughs> legends. Same and, sentence. Yes, I did say that because they. This is on record. Savio Vega is not a legend. I, I respect people in the industry. Okay, Wang the Ninja. <laughs> either way, either way, it would make perfect sense for the Fiend to do the whole bit where his music hits. They have the stare down with the Undertaker. Nothing needs to be said. Nothing needs to be done till a month before Mania. But just plant the seeds now that that's the feud and that Bray is coming for his events loss at WrestleMania 31, and that's. I get Taker to go out on his back. What do you guys think about that? I want, um, I, I want, uh, I want the fiend because this whole gimmick is let me in. So the theory is that like when he wrestled John Cena, it's like a Freddy Krueger moment where like we're in John Cena's mind in his own nightmare. So I want the fiend to go into the Undertaker's mind and be terrified that he's in his realm because it's so dark and so creepy and like there's so much history that like even he has to be taken back. I think that would be an awesome concept for a match. That being said, go ahead. Well, the, the Firefly Funhouse match was great because it wasn't about Bray Wyatt. It was entirely about John Cena. And if you're going to do, you know, I, I said this to Ross a few weeks ago, that match felt like a John Cena retirement match. It felt like here is your career, John Cena, and here's where it ends. And you could do the same thing and have it be very unique to The Undertaker, and it would still um, catch quite a bit of grief from people who don't like that that's the way that he goes out. But there's not going to be a perfect ending anymore to this story. Certainly not after the last five perfect endings that have occurred within this man's career. He is at the Survivor Series. I would have thought it would have been perfect that 30 years uh, to the event that he would have gone out and lost to The Fiend, but there are no fans. Uh, Everything has changed, as we've talked about in 2020. The Undertaker may be gone with a whimper instead of a bang through no fault of his own. And that's something that we as fans of this product, you know, we have to come to grips with. Uh, Ric Flair might have wrestled matches in other companies for years, years after his retirement. But in the WWF in 2008, that was it. He hasn't wrestled a single match since in World Wrestling Entertainment. Shawn Michaels, on the other hand, like you said, we thought it was done. That that Saudi blood money came running, and suddenly he worked a few more matches. You know, it's hard to see. And now, now that is, and unfortunately, that is a memory that exists at the end of a career that seemed to end pretty perfectly. There's no perfect ending to a wrestling career. Uh, very few people get lucky enough to go out, not just on their own terms, but in a situation where you're like, that's appropriate. And if someone like the Ultimate Warrior gave his own eulogy, basically, on Raw the day before he died and two days before he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. You could say that's a perfect ending, but if you look at the 800 train wrecks that had to occur to get to that point, it's not really perfect. You know what I mean? Um, there are very, very few. What if this is the last match? What if this is the end? What if this is truly it? 
if he were to announce one more match and have it be a retirement match and have it stick, I think you're looking at the program being one of the most profitable they could possibly have. It's just, it's hard to imagine him wrestling again. It's also hard to imagine him never wrestling again after having done it for 30 years. It's, it, there's very few careers. Um, I, okay, I do actually have one. There's one person, it's not a WWE person, in professional wrestling that I can name that had a 30-year career and got to go out on their own terms, went out on their back, and did so with the knowledge that it would be their last match. And that is Jushin Liger. Um, Jushin Thunder Liger announced, hey, it's my last year in wrestling uh, back in 2019 to 2020. And at Wrestle Kingdom, he wrestled both nights. He lost both nights. And it was a, uh, a just a marvelous affair for a character that had been around for three decades. So I guess that's one example in the entire history of professional wrestling where I can name someone who legitimately went out. And at least at this point, and I can only name it because it's current events, at this point, we'll never wrestle another match and got to go out on their terms uh, the correct way. I don't know if we're going to ever get that. I hope we do. But I don't know if we will. So what you mentioned, I think that's actually important to do in wrestling too. just have, have the wherewithal that, hey, this is the end. And we're it's it's let's just call it what it is. The NBA draft is on. We're talking wrestling, NXT, AEW are on. It's the farewell tour. We saw it with Dwayne Wade. We saw it with Kobe Bryant where we know this is the end. So you like you said, you can really profit on something like that if people know. And I think. That's, I mean, I think that's Vince McMahon written all over it as far as power plays, thinking that, hey, let's let's milk this Undertaker stuff while we can. And I think that speaks volume into this like historic press run that he's doing this week, all the merch that's coming out this week to say like, hey, we have different types of box figurine sets and different types of memorabilia here. Like I said, have we ever seen the Undertaker do this much press? In a in a current year, he, he Undertaker has a Twitter. Like he, he has a Twitter account. <laughs> to answer your question, the Undertaker has never been uh, press friendly. That's part of the mystique. Is that up until the last twelve months, Mark Calloway is not someone who's ever been available for any interviews. He's not made available by the company. He's a very personal, off the record person. So yeah, I mean you're in the throes of more exposure to the dead man than you've ever gotten before. Um, by the way, headlining all of those wonderful merchandise opportunities that, as you brought up, it doesn't just take the last three weeks of the start of this promotion of 30 years of Taker for them to have been planning to be doing a lot of things with this. Uh, at the head forefront of that, if you haven't seen it, is the $500 Signature Series uh, Championship title belt, a reproduction of The Undertaker's Urn for $100, and there's even a uh, pin collection, if that's your forte, going for $20 a pin. Um, or a mug that just says 30, 30 years of dead man. Or 30, day, the 30 days of dead man, actually. They've got so much, so much Undertaker merchandise right now. Just eating up time and eating up their area. And I'm sure it's all doing very well because he's the Undertaker. So... Like, by the way, when it comes to him doing like interviews, I think the only like real like non 
you know, WWE set interview that I ever remember the undertaker doing. Wasn't he interviewed by like Michael Landsberg in like 2002, where he was literally interviewed as Mark Calloway. That's about the only interview I can think of where he actually did a sit down interview that was not in the WWE bubble. Yeah. Um, that's pretty rare. The only instance I can remember him kind of being out of character, uh, other than that, in, in that entire 30-year time frame, and this doesn't include, you know, his American badass character. It's kind of hard because that character was just him in a lot of ways. But if you go back to 96, the or 97, the tour of Kuwait, when he appeared on the... The only reason that made headlines is because Vader threatened the reporter. It has nothing to do with Undertaker. You know, where Vader breaks kayfabe and flips a table and does awesome Vader things. Um, a 25 and 2, by the way, Cedric, is the current WrestleMania record. 25 and 2. If you count the Boneyard as a match. Which I am. As you should. As you should. I just feel like for everything, like you said, him not being available for pretty much the, the majority of his career... I think this is a money play, rightfully so, to get as much as you can out of one of your cornerstone characters. And I would be shocked if this was a legit retirement, being as there's not going to be any fans in the Thunderdome. Now, we could spend all day talking about The Undertaker, but we actually have to talk about the card, which, top to bottom, it's not a bad card. You know, champion versus champion. It's you can see it. It, it was telegraphed for the past few months. But we're going to talk about the card. We're going to predict where we think things will fall on the card. And I'm just going to go top to bottom versus by level of importance with this card. So we're going to start with the United States champion Bobby Lashley taking on Sami Zayn, who I feel is doing some of his best damn work since returning from absence. If you remember. Sami Zayn and Bobby Lashley have tangled before. I think it was sometime late after the summer last year. Where we had those weird segments where we brought out fake people playing Bobby Lashley's sisters. We had Bobby Lashley go through an obstacle course, and it was pretty cringe for months because Bobby Lashley can't cut a promo to save his life. Now he's a member of the Hurt Business, where MVP is the, the mouthpiece, and they are a pillar of Monday Night Raw every single week. I mean, I'll do my prediction first. Match-wise, it seems like Bobby Lashley will dominate the match, but I'm going to go ahead and say Sami Zayn escapes by a hair and somehow wins and takes one for SmackDown just because I think there's more importance to whatever's happening on SmackDown with the Intercontinental title than Bobby just being the muscle and happens to hold the U.S. title. Let's get some wrestle stats, shall we? Let's do it. Um, First, a very important stat is that this is brand v. brand, and there's six matches on the card. All of them are brand versus brand. How many times since the start of the brand versus brand um, years? So I'm saying 2016 on. I'm not including those couple of years in the mid-2000s when there was Raw versus SmackDown teams. I'm saying how many times has SmackDown come out at the end of the night as the winner of the night? It's pretty rare. I know it's pretty rare. Uh, it's, it's zero. They have not won the night. 
And two years ago, the last year, obviously, NXT won the night overall. But then two years ago was the clean sweep, except somebody forgot to book the pre-show match correctly and the Usos won. But then they just ignored it. Um, So I'm of the belief that this is the year where SmackDown actually gets booked to win. A lot of that comes from the fact that, well, whereas last year they kind of changed the plans and, and changed the dynamic by promoting NXT. A lot of that is that even though Raw is the flagship show and the premier show, SmackDown is the one with the incredibly lucrative contract on Fox. I think you need to make looks, make SmackDown look important overall in the night. I'm not saying it's going to be a clean sweep, but it might be a clean sweep for SmackDown. And don't be surprised if it is. There's a lot of reason to believe that could happen. It starts with this match. I think when you said you're ranking it by importance, so this is the least important of the six matches. You know, that's kind of a problem with current WWE content is that they think every match needs to be super important. And when you're booking a pay-per-view where you just give up and say every year, well, we're just going to have these pigeonholed five matches for sure, and then we'll figure out the rest, you uh, add importance that doesn't need to be there. This match doesn't need to exist. Uh, It's a heel-heel matchup. It's cowardly heel versus strong heel. Lost in this is the fact that these two did feud in that very, very awful here's Bobby Lashley's sisters um, contest. Lost in the fact of this is that you have four members of the Hurt Business who are actively feuding with four members of Retribution and you don't have them in a a tag team elimination match at the Survivor Series because it's just easier to book a one-on-one match between mid-card champions i believe Sami Zayn wins this match i believe it is because of retribution that he wins this match he uh has been great 100 agree that both these guys are in much better shape than they've been the last couple of years creatively but they go into a match that has very very little build other than one calling the other uh the inferior champion over twitter and maybe on tv um at the end of the day this match should be replaced by a four-on-four retribution hurt business match, but instead we're getting, you know, Sami Zayn's getting a payday, and that's great. But I can't help but think Retribution's interfering in this match and giving Zayn the first of what may be six SmackDown victories on the evening. Uh, so Ben makes the excellent point of uh, the fact that as horrible as Retribution is. Um, they have been they've been a focal point in what the Hurt Business has been doing on Monday Night Raw. Um, I'm still baffled at the fact that Retribution got drafted by Raw, but that's besides the point. That's not the topic of this discussion. The point is that um, I'm going to be the contrarian on this show, and uh, on my show, I've been very vocal about this. Not a fan of Sami Zayn. Not a fan of his work. Not a fan of him as a person. That being said, um. You've put Bobby Lashley in a very strong position uh, everywhere that he and MVP have been booked together. It's worked. I don't know why this took forever for them to figure out. Um, But uh, Ben's absolutely correct. SmackDown is going to be made to look very strong. They're on Fox. Um, I realize that Raw is still considered the flagship show, um, but they are going to make SmackDown look very good. I don't know if we're going to have a clean sweep. I have a feeling it's going to come down to either 
whatever the main event is, or they're going to make it very close because they want it to be entertaining because even though there are no stakes, they want to make every match important for some reason. Um, this should be a Survivor Series match between Retribution and the Hurt Business. And uh, this is an instance where you know Bobby Lashley just happens to have a title that the WWE still basically views as a WCW title. I'm just, I'm just being real. They still view it that way because outside of the John Cena open challenge and a few other instances, that belt has been on the same level as some of the lowest belts they've ever had in that company. Um, so this is just another example of one guy has a belt and the other guy has another belt because apparently they don't treat it like they actually have a mid card division that matters. So yeah, I'll say Sami Zayn wins because there's really nothing that, even though logic would say, keep the guy in the hurt business, you know, one of your pillars on raw strong. Yeah. Let's just, let's just have Sami Zayn win. So that's my prediction. And there's the clean first clean sweep of our predictions. Um, and you guys have hit it on the head. I mean, they're in a pretty aggressive view with the hurt business. Sorry, with retribution. And it's ongoing. It's ongoing. We don't know how Retribution got drafted. We do know that Retribution is starting to get a little bit of an uptick. And they took over all of Twitter uh, this past week. Sorry, yesterday. And posted fleets on the WWE Twitter account. So they're definitely going to have a, a hand in what happens in the Survivor Series results. Maybe as well in the tag team matches. Because we know that they their agenda was really for the WWE until they became Raw-focused superstars. So I can easily see them um, interfering in the Survivor Series theme matches as well, as we saw Reckoning, a.k.a. Mia Yim, uh, right, out, right off Dana Brooke. So I think um, I pick Sami Zayn just because I think it just makes sense. I don't think Bobby Lashley needs the win versus Sami Zayn actually needing the win because he doesn't have any rightful challengers. To Ben's credit, there's only been buildup of this, of this feud on Talking Smack as well as a little bit on SmackDown Live with Sami Zayn saying stuff and then them just bantering on Twitter. So I got Zayn, and that's our first clean, clean sweep. We think SmackDown uh, takes the W there. Our, the next one I want to go over is the actual tag team champions, which Ben rightfully said earlier today all they did was swap the titles when they joined brands. Kind of lackluster if you are a stickler for those type of things. But this, for me, this is the match of the, match of the night. This is the more exciting match where you're just talking about in-ring work with the New Day versus the Street Profits. And we don't often get the babyface versus versus babyface matches. For whatever reason, we got to keep things traditional in the WWE world. But honestly, this is one where I, it's a toss-up for me. Everybody knows I'm a pretty big New Day stand. One of the best tag teams. I've written about them all year. I have literally every piece of merchandise. It's very hard for me to pick against the New Day, even though we're talking about SmackDown getting the rub here. So I'm going to take the New Day in a match where not where it's very competitive, but they pull it out just because they have to make the tag team division relevant on Raw, which they, I think that's what the move was. I think the move to separate them is a move for a bigger play down the road with Big E being on SmackDown. We'll talk about that later. But I see the Street Profits as a team. I think they have more talent on the SmackDown tag team roster. But something is going to happen in this match, and I hope it doesn't involve Big E from what we've seen the past few weeks since the separation. Because Big E has been relegated from 
voice of SmackDown to cheerleader for the New Day, which is not what people thought were going to happen. So hopefully we don't get a stupid heel turn from one of the writers. Hopefully we don't get him being at ringside for the New Day and we just get a straight up babyface versus a babyface match in which Woods and Kofi actually come out on top because shit, one of them is actually a former world champion, <laughs> which means something to me. Um, so I got the New Day. Fair enough. One of them is a future world champion. Or one of them is a... Uh, I blew it. I blew my own point. One of them is a uh, former world champion, and one of the four of them is a future world champion in Montez Ford. Did I, did I say um, future instead of former? No, you said former. I okay. blew the point. <laughs> I, d- I did it by getting drunk on water. So uh, it's just a real problem all around over here. And I'm um, drinking Terra Mona Tequila. Uh, that is a reference of The Rock, and hopefully I get that sponsor someday. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. You think Montez Ford is world champion material? Uh, 100% think Montez okay. Ford is world champion material. Okay. Um, but I also I, think I'll back is that. world champion material. I'll, I'll back that, because I, I don't know how old he is, but he definitely has the charisma, and we're going to the more smaller-ish build wrestler, if you would. To me, there's no reason in, in two to three years that Ford and Belair aren't running uh, either Raw or SmackDown as both champions of their respective side. So um, that having been said, I love this match. I hope it steals the show. I hope it gets 15 to 20 minutes. I hope that for as much slagging as people do on WWE's tag team division, and rightfully so, since the constant theme of this division is to break it apart as quickly as possible. I mean, we ran three different tag team breakup angles in the past six months. And uh, AEW is very right to continue to run tag teams uh, down our throats because they have them. Uh, And WWE just doesn't keep theirs together. So there's quite a bit there to be desired. But if you've got two very proficient tag teams on this show, why not showcase them? Why not give them something to do? I realize that I've already committed to saying SmackDown is winning all six matches which means I have to pick the Street Profits. That's the one thing I haven't figured out is how they're going to win this match. Um, Could be just a clean finish. Could be something screwy. I'm not of the belief that there's going to be a big heel turn uh, or that he will even have involvement. To be perfectly honest, I think they're trying to protect Big E for something bigger down the road, and they're just not ready to pull that trigger. Um, But they will be sooner or later, or maybe sooner than later. Um, with Big E, even if it's being one of the ones who answers the call to the table for Roman or uh, whatever they decide to do with him. I don't think he's going to be a factor here. Um, I do just think this is going to be the Street Profits winning what I hope is an extremely athletic match and uh, ends with a handshake would be would be the perfect way to end it. You know, keep everybody strong if you end it that way. Well, I guess I'm just going to be continuing to be the ultimate contrarian because the fact that we're getting champions versus champions for uh, one team that the WWE has just ridden for everything they're worth and they finally actually broken Biggie away from them uh, to another team that, quite frankly, and again, I'm being contrarian. I've never been super impressed with the Street Profits as a tag team. I get that they got over in NXT. I get that they were on Raw and they're considered comedy for a while. But look, to me, this this is a blatant showcase of the fact 
that they really don't care about their tag team division. And if this is the best they got to me, that is a, that is, that's just, that just showcases what they think of it. Now I'm not saying it's not, you know, breaking news that they don't care about tag teams. I mean, for goodness sake, when they finally did their very first draft, what did they do? They basically broke up every established tag team they had. And for God's sake, they tried to make Devon Dudley a single star. Yeah, like that was going to work. Point is that um, I understand why people are excited for this match. And I'm not saying it won't be an entertaining match. Okay? Uh, as much as I'm not a big fan of Angelo Dawkins, uh, he and Montez Ford make an interesting tag team. It They make it work. Um, and obviously, New Day's been around for so long that, uh, you know, they have some matches that I like. Um, but the same problem I have in the Lashley Zane match where it's heel versus heel, it's babyface, babyface. And I know there are companies currently in wrestling that don't care about babyfaces and heels. That being said, I do. Okay. So I prefer having heel, heel and babyface matches instead of babyface, babyface, heel, heel matches. Uh, I will say the Street Profits are going to win. Um, them beating the New Day would be a nice thing for them to have as a tag team. Whereas if the New Day win, does it really matter? Okay, this is going to sound derogatory and it's not meant to be. If they beat the Street Profits, does it really matter? I mean, no, does it's, it? It's not derogatory. What, what more does the New Day need to accomplish? You're not wrong necessarily there. They don't. I don't think it is derogatory. Um, the Street Profits much more need a victory over a team that isn't the Viking Raiders or whoever is teaming with Bobby Roode or Dolph Ziggler at the time, right. you know, uh, it's a much bigger deal if the Street Profits were to win this match on a card where we've all fully admitted none of the matches, you know, it's whose line. None of the points matter. So, yeah. So, so I will, I will also pick the Street Profits to win this match. So that's two for the Street Profits and just me for a new day. Just you for New Day, man. And so, so to to the credit of what you guys both saying, um, the New Day don't need to win this match. What else is there for them to accomplish? And I would say, I mean, they've tied the all-time tag team title record. They had the longest rating tag titles with the uh, 483 days, but they actually have nine titles to their credit now. Getting 10 would beat the Dudley Boys, if I'm not mistaken. When you're, when you're counting title reigns. So that's the last thing they have to accomplish. This match, no. Street Profits have more to attain, but I don't think they're there yet. When you talk about, and here, here's my stand coming out for the New Day, when you talk about the run they've had, just being pillars of television, merchandise run, obviously their podcast is very entertaining. They've brought so much, so much of a revenue and eyes to the WWE product. Um, and you're right, that they don't need to they don't, they don't need this match, but it's hard for me to see them losing this match. And Ben has now changed his name to Montez motherfucking Ford, um, which was previously, I forget what the previous name was already, but we've uh, already Sabio had... Sabio Vega for Hall of yeah, Fame Sabio is what Vega it said previously. Fame, uh, trolling me for the Sabio Vega wrestling... Uh, and other here. legends. Other um, legends. Legend Sabio we're Vega. Keep, we're going to keep track of these name changes because they're, they're rampant. And if you are watching NXT right now, which in the second half will talk NXT talk, Io Shirai just defeated Rhea Ripley clean for the women's clean, and they're doing the finish to the uh, they're they're doing a finish that I said they should have done in the tag title or in the tag team match on Sunday between 
Street Profits and New Day. It's it's a clean finish with a good guy, comes, good guy walk out, shake here comes hands, the heel be turn, happy right? with each other. Here comes the heel turn. I don't think so. Focus is now on Finn Balor in the ring. I think we're I think we're good here. Okay. Yeah. Either way, we'll, EO, we'll, we'll, EO we'll and Rio some, run off happy. We'll get into some into some NXT talk in the second half here. Um, good call, Ben. We are, we're into some Ben talk here, but something that my tag team partner was obviously very leery of because I've been calling Rhea Ripley to win this title back for the past several months. Io Shirai retains. We got two for the or sorry, we got two for Street Profits, one for the New Day. Another match that should steal the show if they give them time is our women's champions, Asuka versus Sasha Banks. And I'm just gonna call it what it is, man. If you look at my article on DailyDDT.com, they this isn't the first time they fought this year. We've seen Asuka versus Sasha numerous times this year. And Sasha had to play kind of the chicken shit hill. We've made fun of her title reigns. She can't retain the title, things like that. Even her only win against Asuka this year was because we had some phantom injury angle to Kyrie Sane where she got attacked by another roster WWE superstar and Asuka had to save her. Not even life-threatening. And that's how Sasha won the Raw Women's title. I think Sasha needs to make an impact here. I think she needs to get a clean win over Asuka to make her reign relevant and to get a win versus SmackDown. Keep in mind also, because I'm going to let you guys uh, fill in here. We haven't seen Asuka on Raw in like the past few weeks since this most recent episode. I think the last time we saw Asuka on Raw was the courtroom angle with The Miz where she came on the stand and said, holla, holla, holla. That was the, the, the brunt of us seeing Asuka on Raw. So has her title run gotten kind of stale? And don't take this as hating. I'm not hating that she took the belt from Becky Lynch without any ramifications. I think she's a worthy champion. But I think she has no worthy challengers because we have Shayna Baszler in the midst of a meaningless tag team with Nia Jax. So for that reason and that reason only, I am picking Sasha Banks clean because she needs it. I absolutely hate that I, that I it gets worse match to match. I'm like, why did you say SmackDown was going to clean sweep? Your justifications become more difficult to make. Um, here's the whole truth of it. Sasha is red hot. Sasha won her Bailey feud uh, convincingly, finally got off of her Gargano curse and defended her title successfully. Asuka hasn't been used on Raw. She hasn't been used to the fullest of her capacity this past month. They seem to have completely forgotten what makes Asuka the MVP of 2020 WWE programming, or one of the MVPs of uh, WWE programming in 2020. They've completely forgotten why people enjoy Asuka and haven't really let her be herself. And even when she showed up this past Monday, let's be honest, anyone who watched that match or was involved in that match was just counting the seconds until Lana got put through a table. Asuka was playing sixth fiddle in a six-person match. And that's not a good thing. You know, that's not high-quality exposure for your Raw Women's Champion. And you hit it on the head. You're correct. She has no competitors and no contenders to go after her title. So for me, Sasha wins this match. If I'm booking it, it's because whomever the next contender to Asuka's title is, is the one who causes it to happen. Whether it's via distraction or DQ, I actually could see this match not ending cleanly at all. And uh, having there be some kind of mucked finish where someone runs in and someone runs out 
you've already brought up previously how Asuka's only loss to Sasha came when Bailey attacked Kyrie Sane. I'm not saying that that can't happen again, but something can. Um, this match has dodgy finish written all over it. Uh, so, Ben, you'll be able to tell me this. What is Sasha Banks' longest title run? Probably this one. Uh, but that, I will get you an official on that. Okay. It, so it's, it's not been, I don't think she's had a single title run over 45 days, okay. which is about where she's going to be when she's uh, on this show and is not currently in jeopardy of losing the belt, by the way. Right. And, uh, and I understand this is not a title match, but yes, this is, this is one of, this is probably one of her high points of her main roster career. Uh, so to speak, she finally vanquished Bailey. Um, look, Let's be honest. Uh, she guest starred on one of the hottest shows in popular culture, The Mandalorian. Um, that's a big deal. Um, and unfortunately, <laughs> I can't believe this is the trend I'm going with. Um, they have not booked her to be like the tippy, tippy top of this division consistently ever. Um, and I think if I'm going with my trend of kind of making Raw and SmackDown kind of equal with each other, uh, this is a perfect instance of, once again, Sasha somehow either getting screwed out of a win or her making some dumb babyface move and Asuka just makes her submit. Um, I understand that Asuka is really not being utilized to the full abilities that she has and Sasha Banks is red hot which is why by WWE logic, Asuka clearly should win this match. <laughs> so that's just on top of the fact that I know they want to keep uh, Asuka strong. And even though her losing to Sasha Banks doesn't weaken her, uh, to me, if you're going to go with the more balanced approach, which is essentially what they've done most years when they've kept score, quote unquote, um, I'm just going to say Asuka's going to win because uh, I think at some level, even though they don't view her, as a top draw, you absolutely said it correctly. She has been one of the MVPs of WWE. And so for the time being, they're going to keep it that way. So I will pick Asuka to win this match. Sasha's five title reigns as Raw Women's Champion. It's a record. It's the only person to hold the title five times. 27 days, 27 days, 20 days, eight days. And then her actually her most recent title reign was her longest at uh, 34 days. She's currently 19 days uh, as of press time into her first reign as SmackDown Women's Champion. That is incredible. Kind of reeks so. of Orton, doesn't it? Because I think they put a, put a tweet out a little while ago about all of Orton's title reigns. They're not very lengthy. Well, I don't want us to get ahead of ourselves, but uh, he definitely did not do himself a good service on his last one. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. So, Ross, you're taking Asuka. Me and Ben are taking Sasha. And... We're going to get some pretty deep NXT talk in the second half of this, where we got three more matches to to cover. If you're watching NXT right now, I'm just going to let you know that the brand kind of blew their load here um, with the fact that we announced that War Games is coming, and now the Undisputed Era is back. Voila! We'll talk about that in a second. But let's go into the Women's Survivor Series match first. And what we do know is there are two traditional Survivor Series matches, which we wish there were more, but these are the only matches that really give you that Survivor Series feel. We have the Women's Tag Team Champions, Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler, formerly 
Manny Rose and Dana Brooke being replaced by Lacey Evans and Peyton, Peyton Royce due to inj- legitimate injury to Matt, uh, Mandy Rose, as well as Lana. Taking on Bianca Belair, Ruby Riot, Liv Morgan, and two names to P determined. Um, I don't, you know what? This, this is going to sound very derogatory. I don't mean it to sound that way at all. It's not that I don't care about this match. It's the fact that I only see one outcome based on the build. And that means Lana is going to have to come up phenomenally big here. I wrote about this in my piece, and I feel like if Lana's not the sole survivor, then it's a huge miss. The fact that she's been involved in so many major angles for the year, and yes, I'm including the the crappy Bobby Lashley wedding angle, and we know that she's kind of being punished for... Rusev, now known as Miro, being on AEW with the what we have, what, uh, six, maybe seven weeks of being put through a table every single week. I feel like if Lana doesn't have something memorable happen where she eliminates other members of Team SmackDown, then we missed here. If she's not the sole survivor, then we missed here. And we can speculate all day and night on who the final members of Team SmackDown are. I, I can't think of it. I think Billy Kay automatically has to be a member now since Peyton Royce is a member of, of Raw now. And then the final member is up for grabs. But let's just, let me just tell you guys what I think real quick. I'm looking at Nia. I'm looking at Shayna Baszler, the two most dominant women in the division. And I'm thinking a callback to the Royal Rumble earlier this year. Shayna, Bianca Belair both have the same amount of eliminations in the Royal Rumble. I think that cancels out. I think Shane, I think Bianca's the one that puts out uh, Nia Jax, does the heavy lifting. And I think her and Shayna go toe-to-toe. Maybe Shayna gets Bianca out, and somebody gets some cheap roll-up on Shayna and gets her out. So then we have the rest of the bunch here. And I think whatever cancels out from there, whether it be Billy Kay, Peyton Royce, I don't think Lacey Evans will last long, so I don't think see the direction there. We talked about tag teams being broken up almost immediately break up Peyton Royce and Billy and bam, Lacey Evans and Peyton Royce, which makes no sense. Maybe you guys can leave some clarity to me for that. But I feel like the end game here has to be legitimizing Lana as a legit contender in the women's division. Whether she's sole survivor or whether she eliminates somebody big on Team SmackDown. So that's my prediction. Here's my pick of Team Raw. Um, If we have a clean sweep for SmackDown or SmackDown wins, I think this is the one where SmackDown does get a, sorry, where Raw does get a win. Let me, let me fantasy armchair book a little bit here for you. Um, I'm super happy to have this match on the card because in doing statistical analysis of Survivor Series matches through time, there just haven't been enough women's elimination matches. Uh, and the, a lot of the ones that have existed have been really, really not good. So it's nice to see a women's elimination match on the card, even though, as you pointed out, very, very haphazardly booked. Um, suddenly, the depth of women, you know, obviously, there, there's the obvious elephant in the room here. You've got no Becky. You've got no Charlotte. You've got no Ronda. Um, it, it, the depth of women, and you've got both Asuka and Sasha in a different match, your women's roster depth on the main roster suddenly looks terrible. So I do 
I agree. We need a star-making performance out here for somebody. The most on-brand thing WWE could possibly do is what you brought up. Have it be Lana going over somehow, uh, getting put through the table in the first 30 seconds of the match, not doing anything until she's the only member of our team left. That is an easy, easy way for them to book that and then have her pin somebody, you know, beat somebody. But I'm going to tell you right now, you brought up Shayna Baszler and Bianca Belair in the Royal Rumble. Everybody knew going into the Royal Rumble this year who Shayna Baszler was. Everybody knew that Shayna Baszler was going to get her big opportunity uh, and agree or disagree with how that turned out. Everybody knew that Baszler was going to get her push. But Bianca Belair's 2020 Royal Rumble performance was a star-making performance. And she has an opportunity. She's lost a lot of that luster thanks to quarantine, uh, thanks to just not being booked at all. And when she is booked, it's in nonsense. Uh, She has a lot of opportunities right now to get a star-making performance back. 100% with you that Billy Kay is one of the uh, final two SmackDown women to join that team. Potentially could be Bailey, although I'm not sure if they're just keeping her off TV. It probably won't be Carmella, since she's invested in the Sasha Banks feud right now. So that leaves the only other person that I would put on that team would be Natalia, who, despite losing this past week, has the most experience in Survivor Series matches, and more than anything, needs to be out there to make a lot of those other women look good. And that's important. You know, Natalia understands her role very, very, very well. The Chelsea Green debut that took place, and what unfortunate luck for her to break her wrist to the point of needing surgery this past week on SmackDown, I do believe she was probably booked to win that match at some point. And when they realized she couldn't, they went with Liv Morgan, it's possible that Liv Morgan was always going to be a second-chance option and that the five were going to be uh, Liv Morgan, Ruby Riot, Chelsea Green, and then your, uh, your fifth with Bianca would have been uh, Billy Kay or possibly Natalia or someone else. I agree that there's going to be a lot of that infighting. Um, but to me, realistically, I think if you're going to book this match the right way, you have, again, I'm booking SmackDown to win this match. And I'm telling you, Lana gets put through the table immediately, is a non-factor. They trade a lot of the, you know, cut the fat, so to speak. Get rid of your Billy Kay and your Peyton Royce. Get rid of your Lacey Evans. Um, Have it come down to a point where it's Nia and Shayna up against, let's just say, Riot Squad, uh, Shayna, or Riot Squad, Bianca, and Natty. And you can easily book this where you have um, one member of the Riot Squad drop off and you have Nia and Shayna both get eliminated by Bianca, who looks like an absolute stud, and then it's three-on-one. Lana's the only one left. You do a thing where Nia and Shayna get their heat back. That gets rid of the other member of the Riot Squad. It gets rid of Natty, and it puts Lana up against Bianca. You have it go one-on-one for a while. Lana could win, could win, could win, but let's be real here. Bianca Belair wins, and that's what I would want to see. If I'm fantasy booking it, that's what I want to see. There is no chance in hell that that actually happens on sunday but that's what i'm gonna pick that's how i'm gonna pick it bianca belair sole survivor smackdown wins again and is four and oh on the night at this point so i like the lana ideas however because of how she's being booked she's going to be put through a table and she's not going to get eliminated and she's going to be a total non-factor in this match. It's just that, that that's, that's, 
That's how they book. So as much as it makes sense for Lana to do something in this match, she won't. Um, if you if you want the most intrigue, look, say what you want. Uh, look, I, I've been a very harsh critic of the fact that they pushed Shayna Baszler to the moon and then she had a nine-minute match with Becky Lynch at WrestleMania and she's never been the same um, because they built her up at Elimination Chamber and at Survivor Series and everything else. And then she had a nine-minute match with Becky Lynch who then just gave Asuka the title. I'm not going down that road. Uh, Nia Jax, a lot has been said about her. Say what you want, why she still has a job, why she's still prominently showcased on WWE television. Um, at this point, as far as I'm concerned, the only reason she's still working is because she's related to The Rock. That being said, Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler are going to last until the end of this match against Bianca Belair, who will then eliminate both of them and be the sole survivor. That's how I would book it. That's the star they're trying to make. They've been building Bianca Belair, not at the same trajectory as Shayna Baszler, but if we saw what they did with Shayna Baszler and Bianca Belair, there's no way they're going to stop that push, the inevitable push of Bianca Belair to the top of this division. Why not beat two of your monsters on Raw? Why not just go that route and just have Bianca Belair look strong? So that's how I would do it. You can get rid of the fat as the match goes on. Uh, but that's how I would book it. So even though I'm kind of piggybacking off of Ben's idea, um, I just don't see Lana being a factor at all in this match with the way she's booked. And if they're consistent at all with completely doing the exact same thing they do to people all the time, that they have no interest in doing anything with, they'll continue it. So there you go. So I got two SmackDown picks, and I'm the lowly um, raw pick all my own. So we talked about Billy Kay, which I think they kind of had to talk themselves into it. Ross, thank you for bringing up that point about Nia Jax, because she legitimately injured Mandy Rose, which is why they had to be written off of um, the match in in total. I don't know where Reckoning, a.k.a. uh, Mia Yim, plays into that, but I think Retribution plays a big role here. Twin titties, effectively out of the match. Now, um, I'm sorry, what did you call them? I call it them twin titties. Nijak said it first. So they're out of the match. But here, here's a wild card for you. You mentioned Carmella not being involved in the match. And I, and I agree there. But I think Billy Kay is a lock. We know Tamina's there. And you know they always like to play the, the big women of the division going against each other. And um, maybe Tamina <laughs> is in the match. Thank you for Cut the that. sound effects. Um, thank you. Uh, I apologize. I Either way, <laughs> maybe Tamina's in the match. Maybe she's not. But one thing I do like to um, point out is they kind of have an ace in the hole here. And she's been vocal about it. What if Mickey James is one of the men- members of Team SmackDown? She's kind of been requesting something to do all quarantine since she's healthy. She's gone on different radio syndicates and podcasts and said, hey, I'm just waiting for a storyline. Could she be a surprise member? What do you guys think? Um, she wasn't drafted last I checked. She's listed on SmackDown's website for whatever reason. There, there is, there is. I'm actually know. shocked she doesn't work for NWA at this point. Yeah, with with her husband. Yeah. Um, 
it's I don't I love Mickey James to death, but I don't have any investment in seeing her at this point in her career uh, on the team, especially if it's to just get eliminated, like which is what it would be because there's no reason to push her at this point. Um, I stick to my guns, say Bel Air. Uh, I mean, I would say if they didn't have a better option, but I mean, Ben mentioned Natalia. I mean, you don't have to do anything with her. She's going to be a consummate professional. She's going to make the match look better and, and actually like transition better. And that's a better option than Mickey James. And that's somebody that's already like on your roster. That's been reliable. And there's other options too. And plus, if you're going to go the surprise route, go like super surprise route. But I don't think they're going to do that either. So they're probably just going to go the very safe route because let's be honest, this is a match that's going to happen in the middle of the card. So guys, I, I got to be frankly honest with you guys. The career of Natalia literally does nothing for me. She is the most boring character top to bottom of the entire roster. If there was something that would, I can say is so vanilla, it is Natalia. But and, I, need- and, I know, and I know she's a good wrestler. I know she, she's safe. She's consistent, stuff like that. But as far as the promos, I actually thought that Lana was kind of helping her with the promos because they do the TikTok videos and things like that. But the cat ears, she, she just reeks of boredom for me. Am, am I wrong for that? Uh, no, uh, I, Natalia is modern day big show with her heel and face turns. And that's where my problem is. I respect Natalia, the worker. I just don't think she's been given anything creative to do. Uh, she had that awesome, awesome physical match with Becky Lynch at SummerSlam last year that a lot of people tend to forget opened that show. Um, very, very good match, but outside of that match, uh, I understand your definition as vanilla because she's really not been given anything of interest to do. She doesn't steal focus um, because when she's featured in a feud, she's just in a feud. You know, they're the only feuds other than that, the very, again, a very good physical match that she had with uh, Becky Lynch was the horrendous feud she had with the riot squad, I want to say, over her father. And that's a pretty that's terrible notable. feud. Mm-hmm. That's notable in a very, very bad way. Like when they taped a picture of deceased Jim Neidhart onto a table. Like it, it's just, I get it. You know, that is one of, remember when I said earlier, there are some things in wrestling when you watch them, they're awesome and you defend them and you're like, look at how great this is. And then there's other things you have to watch people and be like, yeah, sometimes, you know, it's a carny business. They just don't have respect for certain things. And if you're dead or related to someone dead or friends with someone dead, you know that's a storyline uh, that's going to be played out. So This is the same superstar they gave the flatulence gimmick to, right? Yes, correct. Okay. Yikes. Flatulence and superstar in the same sentence. I don't yep. know. But- you heard it. Consummate professional doesn't really do it for me. When she cuts a promo, I just simply don't believe her. I don't, I don't believe what's coming across the microphone with her. And well, if she's a throw-in at this point, because here we are, two members left to be remain, uh, named. I, I'll take it, but it doesn't, doesn't excite me at all. 
Alright, there goes the McFoley music again, which can only mean one thing. We're hitting the pause button right here, and hold on, hold on, real quick. Honestly, did you really think I wasn't going to show up on this podcast? I am the other half of the podcast, Tag Team Champions. That's right, I'm your normal host of this venture, Jacob DeLorence. But I was a little occupied, I got jumped in the back, a la Roddy Strong, Bobby Fish. It said had to go out and handle some business and reunited the turnbuckle with Ross and Ben. And the guys are breaking down Survivor Series, so we're just going to hit a brief pause button because Mr. Welton had a whole bunch of slanderous things to say about the only woman to graduate out of Stu Hart's dungeon. But you know what? It's all good and dandy. No biggie. Just, hey, just we're hitting the pause button. We're going to be back later on today. Or actually, you know what? We'll come back with you tomorrow to give you a special episode of that Saturday morning audio dope with the gentleman continue breaking down Survivor Series. Plus a few other things, so just sit back, relax, tap in like always. We appreciate you listening to us. And make sure you follow us on Twitter. I'm at underscore J Dellis. Set us at C E Double D underscore S A Y S. Set us at said says. Like always. Of course, last but not least, don't forget Believe, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? They are at Believe Podcast. Believe is spelled B-L-E-A-V. Last but not least, this episode of Believe in XT Podcast has been brought to you by the nice people over at Soul Science, makers of the Antidote product. Antidote, what is it? It's simple. It is sneaker air freshener. It's not those cheap little sneaker balls that you see at, you know, and hmm, and hmm, you know, those major shoe stores. No, no, it's none of that. None of that. No, this is a quality, high-level performance product that is made for sneakerheads by sneakerheads ken and daichi have created this product that is simply put it's a sneaker air freshener it doesn't mask the smell it takes the smell completely away us as sneakerheads have always always been like man i want to get those shoes i like those shoes old buddy got but they got a little stitch to them i can't get rid of them fear not no more just go ahead and get your little antidote ready shake it up few little pumps, let it air dry, smell is gone, now you got a fresh, nice, clean scent. We have Under the Palms, Tropical Breeze, Jumpman Boston's Kool-Aid Cherry. We have so many different scents. All you have to do is go to soulscience.co, click on the shop tab, and you'll see all the options that you can choose from for the Antidote line. And for the listeners of the Believe in NXT podcast, the nice people over at Soul Science are so nice, they decided to give you guys a little gift. If you use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, you will get 15% off your order. That's right. All you got to do is enter BELIEVE and save yourself 15%. So go over there, copy some. Or better yet, hey, everybody goes to the gym. You might be working from home, but you're like, man, I need to go get a workout in. Let me go to the gym real quick. If your gym's open, you're being smart, you're socially distancing, you throw your workout clothes in your gym bag, you forget about them, you open up the gym bag, woo, that funk hit you, just grab that any dope, man. Grab that any dope, shake it up, shh, shh, a couple little sprays, and you're good. So again, soulscience.co, click on shop, use the promo code BELIEVE, save yourself 15%. I'm your host, Jacob Lawrence. Until we are back with the Saturday Morning Audio Dope in Part 2 of said. Ross and Ben, the turnbuckle is reunited. Until then, we're out of here. <laughs>